With the inception and traction that blockchain and crypto has gathered, the world is possibly on the verge of the largest evolution since the mainstream of the internet. Given the fluidity and dynamic nature of this technology, business leaders, enthusiasts, and veterans all need to band together to navigate the current and upcoming storms. Participants in Web 3.0 want a trusted resource that gives them pertinent information about projects, tokens, technology, and businesses. We are business people talking the business of crypto. We are Y Whales. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Y Whales, wherever in the world you are today. Um, and, you know, as it, it, it is uh, October 13th, so um, we're not a Friday the 13th almost. Uh, but there's so many interesting things happening in Web 3 today. Um, woke up this morning to Bitcoin crashing uh, by by close to seven eight hundred dollars down to you know eighteen eighteen six. So we've kind of broken that that nineteen thousand barrier. Uh, lots of you know kind of macro events uh, going on in the world. There's there's stress uh, all, just everywhere. I, I would say that the world news cycles are just seem very stressed, and that's that's not U.S. based, that's not Canadian based or North America. It really just seems globally. There's 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 a lot of um, bad news in the world. Um, but but I always circle back around to you know with us being focused on Web three, um, it, it's amazing to watch the rate of innovation. I mean I have never seen an asset class that moves near it near the speed of Web Web three. Um, and so when you have those rates of innovations, when you have people that are spending so much time trying to build the future of of the financial system, uh, gaming systems, or or just a variety of others, you end up with. Um, a lot of chaos. And, and so we really do always have to look to the experts that have done this for a long time and have stayed active. I think that's one of the biggest points is, is doing something well. Um, you know, years ago is, is great, but if you're not active today, you're really missing out on a lot of the nuances. So I, I'm thrilled to have uh, Haristo, I'm going to call him Chris the rest of the show, if that's okay. Um, here with me today from Findos. And, and, you know, when we talk about experts in the fields, I can absolutely go and say Heristo is an expert. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of chat with him about tokenomics and a number of topics that you work on today. Um, but if you don't mind, can we start kind of, you know, how you got into this field in the first part? Because you do have a very traditional background, correct? Correct. And uh, thank you. Thank you for the introduction, Jay. I come from a traditional background in finance where I spent quite a lot of time. So essentially, it is something like 12 years in various banking and financial institutions. Essentially, for the majority time while I was there, I was working as a data scientist. So eventually, understanding and modeling data, also a lot focused around budgeting, building various models and prediction for the standard uh, finance field. Uh, also, I would say uh, it's very interesting. Near the beginning of 2011, we implemented one of the first neural networks. Uh, those are machine learning and AI algorithms uh, for our uh, bank in Bulgaria. And after that, I also spent some time in China as analytics director for one of the largest consumer finance companies there. So you are very adept at you know large scale. Um financial metrics. Um, I would bet that you're probably a whiz on Excel as well as kind of data analysis overall. Is that correct? Uh, that's correct. I would admit that I'm quite a bit a nerd on Excel. So friends are asking me, what are you doing for fun? And sometimes I'm answering, I'm doing spreadsheets because this is literally what I am what I'm doing for fun. So uh, yeah, definitely. So that's a lot of things in my life, not only in my work, I are run by spreadsheets and me just, you know, interacting with them and configuring them. 
And I think that this is really important because, you know, when we're talking blockchain, remember, it's very core. It's it's a it's a very simplistic spreadsheet that has a lot of, you know, cryptography and a lot of, you know, really advanced metrics around it. So when when you have a project, you know, saying, hey, you know, we want to issue a token, we want to uh, do a coin, we want to, you know, uh, extrapolate value from our members and, and provide value right back to them utilizing, you know, these new metrics of, of cryptocurrencies or, or tokens or NFTs or any, any kind of metric on there. Um, there's a lot of benchmarking and brainstorming that has to happen because right now, uh, you know, I would say there's a few basic, you know, models that exist. We know what, you know, Bitcoin came out with 21 million. Where did they come up with that number? I mean, I'm sure they talked about it quite a bit and there's, there's a lot of data and and various white papers and discussions around the number, but it seems odd, you know, to have, to have those numbers, but there's a lot of, you know, reasoning um, that goes into each and every crypto project behind that, that core number of, of what they're putting out there. Correct, Uh, That's quite correct. That's quite correct. And I think that the unique thing about the blockchain is when we are in the standard finance world, there is a lot of data which is obfuscated from us, meaning that we, a lot of data is hidden. We cannot access this data. We don't know what's going on. While, While we are operating on the blockchain, there is this huge level of transparency where if a project failed, we can just go ahead and understand, okay, what happened there? Was it a bug? Did somebody do a cover-up of something? Essentially, since it's all on the blockchain, it's very transparent and it's very easy to learn from mistakes rather than having a lot of guesswork trying to guess, okay, what went wrong and and when. And I think that this is definitely a huge upside, especially for data analysts like me who love to, you know, just dig into the data. Yeah, and when we're talking about you know people's finances and and larger protocols that we we see evolving into into blockchain, and let's be clear, we're we're right now at about you know under a trillion dollar market cap. It's a tiny, tiny, it's a teeny tiny little uh, asset class right now, in, in, in a global perspective. But getting things right today, because you know blockchain truly you know is supposed to be forever, um, and the transparency that it provides is is a dynamic shift that I believe is needed in this world, um, especially for people who are investing in, in any. Anything, whether whether it's a traditional stock, if you're investing in Microsoft, uh, Tesla, or any blue chip stock, you should know exactly, um, you know, who's holding these these uh, these shares, where they're going, where they're being traded, and all those types of things. Um, in the traditional stock traditional stock market. And and this is where Haristo, I'm sure you play around with this quite often. You know they're not balancing uh, th- those stocks and those options every day. In fact, it's quite rare uh, that they would actually go ahead and take a balance of of wh- who holds what. Correct? Oh, definitely. It's a lot harder to track, and at the end of the day, it just creates an environment where there is a lot more guesswork involved. Meaning, for me, it is quite important to understand that uh, that blockchain as a technology and even tokenomics as a discipline is so new that we are literally learning every day on new things which are coming out, new findings, but I think that the upside of really having them transparent and understand what's going on is a huge component. Now, obviously, we need to take into account that there are still a lot of centralized entities which operate uh, on the blockchain. So it is there is still some level of, you know, not knowing. So, for example, centralized exchanges, when they report trading volume, at the end of the day, we don't know how much is it wash trading. Is the liquidity really there? What is really going on? But for the protocols which are fully on chain, we can easily verify all of this information. 
Yeah, and, and and so you know, let's just dive right into uh, what your current um, company is, Findos, and you you guys have been around for a number of years. Um, but to give us that, that elevator pitch of of why someone would come uh, seek you guys out. Uh, sure, definitely. Uh, so essentially, I concluded my journey in the corporate world at the beginning of 2017 after those two years in China as analytics director there. And when I came back to my home country of Bulgaria, I was already investing in. Uh, in various tokens and and Bitcoin and so forth, but I wanted to be involved full-time in the space. And I was really trying to figure out what I can do with my previous background. And I find that there is a huge need for people to really understand their numbers, figure out what should be my allocation, how should I give out my rewards, how should I structure everything, what kind of numbers make sense. And to be honest, tokenomics was not even a word back then at the beginning of 2017. So I just went ahead and started working with any project which would have me, to be perfectly honest, and just trying to get my feet wet. Before that, I spent like a one month on a very intensive Solidity course because I really wanted to be able to code smart contracts myself because I think it's very critical to understand how the underlying technology works. So it's one thing understanding the numbers, but it's a second to know what are the limitations and how things can work on top of this. So one month of very intensive Solidity course, like literally every day for eight hours a day, then after that uh, one month, I started working with whichever project might have me. And now fast forward to the current day, I have a company. We are four people. We are narrow specialists in tokenomics, meaning that we do tokenomics and nothing else. To be perfectly honest with you, it is plenty complex that I don't need anything else on top of that. And uh, to date, we have worked with over 220 projects within the space. And really, our goal is to create sustainable, sustainable tokenomics. Uh, one thing which I tell to all of my clients is that, unfortunately, if they're just going ahead and they just want to raise money, go ahead copy the locations from another project from the internet, slap them on your website, do a token sale. This is not what we are here for. We are here to make sure that what you're doing can be sustainable 5, 10, 20 years down the line, because in my opinion, this is the only way that this industry can can move forward. And I love, I love hearing that. Um, and, and you know, one of the things that really has always bothered me about investing in traditional stocks is, is you know, I do a ton of research. You know, I'm, a, I'm same as you, probably in a lesser amount. You know, a numbers nerd. Um, you know, what, what are the, what's the amount of shares? What's the market cap? You know, metrics to metrics, spreadsheets, due diligence, everything else. And you could make the perfect bet um, on on the knowledge that you have that's available to you as a as a as a um, stock trader or investor. Um, and then the next day they can do a split. They can do, you know, they, they can, you know, basically dilute you and, and, and everything else. And I just, I hate those rules because uh, there's no transparency. The, the, uh, these decisions are made behind the scenes uh, with, with very little regard towards the individual investor. Um, you know, the focus on the company overall. 
But but that's what I love about you know blockchain is they really start with generally and and you know some of them have open caps on their on their tokens or coins. Um, but for those that don't, they say this is the most that we will ever mint. This is the most that will ever exist. Um, here are the rules. You know we may burn some, we may dilute some, but you know we're saying right off the bat that this is all there will ever be. And that it, and, and even if they're not all fully distributed, uh, meaning that they're holding some in treasury, at least you know where the where the worst it could go. That it's not going to go you know, 10, 20 X more, they're going to dilute you down to nothing. And, and that's one of the big benefits. However, <laughs> um, who is Dell? There's a lot you can screw up on that launch. What, what, what's some of the most common, you know, errors you see right off the bat? Actually, maybe I forgot, I forgot to mention, but I have also some operational experience, meaning that I also spent uh, one year as a chief product officer for a fully decentralized and permissionless protocol on top of Ethereum, and I joined the protocol right at the launch. So actually, I, I have a first-hand knowledge of a lot of the things which can go wrong, and believe me, things go wrong from things where you cannot even you cannot even imagine them. So. There is a bug in the code. Something goes wrong in the code. People try to fix it really fast, and by trying to fix it really fast and not analyzing it well enough, they create an even bigger problem. And at the end of the day, this is where you need to say, guys, let's let's take a loss at this point in time, but let's stop and figure things out properly. And really, this is the other area where I see that there will be a huge demand in the future and this will be the, the blockchain analytics at the end of the day. And really for being able, after a project is already out there, to run simulations, to run you know your code off-chain, run different scenarios in order to see what might go wrong. And yeah, definitely a huge area for development. Yeah, and I mean, you, you having done this, and and again, your 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 uh, tradfi experience, you know, coming over into to your uh, blockchain experience is massive. I Meaning, you've already know all the traditional structures. I mean, there's there's only so many uh, different ways you can you can skin that cat. Um, but but then coming over into blockchain, and, and the options are almost limitless, uh, and the nuances are are you know in some cases haven't even been heard of. So. You know, one of the things I find so interesting here is to about about tokenomics, and, and really, you know, excited to dive into this with you, uh, is just the fact that it's it can happen so fast. Um, if if you're a traditional company and you say, "Hey, I want to go on the stock market," or you know, you're gonna you're gonna get an investment bank. That investment bank's gonna talk about your share values, your your stock prices, like this massive procedure um, that you're gonna go through before you do an IPO or initial public offering or IDO, whatever is happening nowadays in the market. Um, but in blockchain, you can have a serious company that, that potentially is worth, you know, billions of dollars um, that just, you know, in, in a couple hours, they go ahead and, and type in a few metrics, deploy a code and airdrop a whole bunch of tokens and say it's out there. Um, and, and at that point, what have they really what have they really made? Yeah, let's look at the example of SushiSwap. At the end of the day, what was SushiSwap? A clone of Uniswap? Then they said, okay, we are going to have our own token, and they literally drained their liquidity in a matter of days and becoming one of the biggest and most prominent AMMs within the crypto space. It was really an really amazing story. I don't think that you can anywhere else achieve something like this at that scale in such a little time. 
And really, the core thing here is that the infrastructure is there. And I think that this is really critical, that at the end of the day, you can create a protocol and it can write off the best start integrating with other protocols which are already on the blockchain. And I really think that this is such a huge plus for the industry because you don't need to create everything from scratch yourself. You can just leverage on what other people have already built. And this is built in into the ethos of the blockchain. It is not something that people are necessarily trying to gate their applications. They want you to integrate with them because this is a win-win situation for both. So, so what's in your mind? A, a couple examples of, of projects that that really did a good job of this, that are out there, they're mature, and and that their tokenomics model that they launched, you know, potentially years ago, is holding up um, to to users' expectations. So, the thing which definitely comes to mind right off the bat is uh, Ave. So, I think that this is the prime example of tokenomics done right, in my opinion. So what is a tokenomics done right? I think that the protocol doesn't need the token. So the protocol can operate even without the token. It can be profitable without the token, but the token adds an additional level of security and additional value on top of the protocol itself. So I really, really like this design philosophy because recently I believe that there are too much projects which are trying to gate all their functionality behind their token. And I really don't think that this is the correct approach to build on top of the blockchain. I think more inclusivity and then added value via the token rather than exclusive gated ecosystems. So, you know, there's some, you know, there's very different... (laughs) Ways to to kind of look at these. Um, what is there any that you shy away from? Um, you know, model wise, or, or is pretty much anything game when someone approaches you for for client engagement? Uh, it is not. So anytime that somebody comes to me and I ask asks to have a reflection token or a tax token, this is right off the bat no on on our end because I really think that this is a terrible terrible economics model and terrible incentive. Essentially, those projects are creating a game of economics music chairs and trying to see who would be the last person, you know, left without a chair to sit on. And if a project comes to us and they say reflections, we usually say, okay, either this goes out or guys, please find someone else. That's it's really fascinating, and so um, for people that are, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are preparing to launch a token here or preparing to launch a project. What's what's like two or three of the most critical just decision points that they need to think of? Um, obviously, quantity is is one distribution, but what what are the in your mind? So interestingly enough, I think that the quantity of tokens is one of the least important metrics because. The number of tokens is just a unit of account. And what I tell to all of my clients, whether you have one token divisible by 18 decimal points or a billion tokens, a trillion tokens, doesn't really matter that much. It might make it a little bit harder for the users to look at their statements and see that they have this huge amount of tokens in their MetaMask, for example, but this is not quite critical. Usually I ask them to think, okay, why do you need a token? What is the function of the token? Are you only raising money with the token? Does it achieve any other goal within your ecosystem? And if your system can function without a token, why do you necessarily need one? So this is always the first and most critical questions which I ask them. The second is, 
okay, what level of decentralization do you want your application to have? Are we looking at something which is fully decentralized or are we looking at something which is a centralized business which just integrates with the blockchain and can uh, accept payments in multiple tokens and has some additional functionality? And last but not least, what is your risk tolerance? Because at the end of the day, we need to be aware that this is such an unregulated environment that essentially we need to be aware that, okay, if you start paying out dividends and you start calling your token a utility token, probably things will not go your way later down the line. So, yeah, let's be aware of what the risks are there. You know, when when there's people that are, you know, kind of doing all these airdrops, and I think that's a that's a big question that I have, and I see this happen all the time, where a protocol will launch via airdrop, meaning they're just going to give away, you know, what they perceive as the the shares or the value of their entire uh, organization. So whether they're governance or that's that's the only token that they have. I, I always wonder, you know, are they really creating value? Um, because if you distribute, you know, let's say you've got a million tokens and you, you give half of them away and suddenly, you know, you, you get a couple orders in uh, for, you know, a, a dollar, um, a dollar coin. Um, that doesn't mean that you have a, a million dollar, you know, hundred million dollar market cap. That, 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 but but a lot of people perceive and understand it to be that way that suddenly they were dropped, you know, tens of thousands of dollars of free tokens, even though they're, they're illiquid. How's the best way to kind of counter those talks? Luckily enough, I'm seeing more and more people being aware of that. I think that um, as unfortunate as the Terra Luna incident was a while ago, earlier this year, it showed us that, you know, uh, high valuation without liquidity is nothing. And I find this extremely interesting that uh, this seems to be a truth both in the standard financial world as well as in the blockchain that all crises are crises of liquidity. And there was, uh, you know, a professor which I liked a lot, and he was saying for the standard financial world that everyone is insolvent, but if you are illiquid, you are dead. So really, liquidity is the most critical thing that you need to focus on and think on how you can build that. Otherwise, you're completely correct. If we look back at how ICOs were done in 2017, it was not uncommon that the team kept 10 or 20% of the tokens and they sold 80% during the ICO. And they could have a huge market cap, but as soon as there was any flicker of uh, lack of confidence within the project, the project would tumble because at the end of the day, they didn't have the liquidity to support the selling pressure. Yeah, which is, you know, when you're doing an ICO or, or IDO or, or any of these things, generally that, that capital when they're selling those is going to come into treasury. And then there is at least something that's backing, backing uh, those coins. When you're just airdropping everything out, you know, liquidity starts at zero. Is that, is that correct? That's pretty much correct. And I have never been a huge fan of the airdrops because I really don't think that they truly build community. Essentially, you have a situation with a lot of people either joining your Telegram channel or, you know, liking your video or something like this just to get a few tokens. I really believe in paying people tokens to do work, but also paying it in a sustainable way. Because again, going back to the Terra Luna example, it was paying a 20% APY on stables, but this was not sustainable. So now I see a lot of projects being afraid to do that. And I think that we are swinging between two extremes, which is not a good thing. 
let's pay people to do work to provide liquidity for the token, but let's pay them a reasonable amount for their risk. Let's not pay 20, 30%, 50% APYs and things like that. Yesterday, I received a phishing email, by the way, which was saying from Binance, we just launched our 300% APY program. Now, obviously, it was phishing because it was from a totally different uh, email email host. But at the end of the day, uh, unfortunately, there are still people who think, okay, now is my chance. Let's, let's go and do that. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they got a lot of people with that email. And, and 300% and during the bull run would have been about standard. So during during a bear, I think we, a few of us have learned our lesson. Um, have you uh, analyzed the the Mango uh, exploit? I, I, I won't even call it a hack because it was quite simply an, an exploit of their own uh, tokenomics or Oracle uh, integration and, and governance models. Uh, to be honest, no, I, I am not aware of this one. Was this the recent breach exploit which happened or... This was, and, and, and again, just to give a quick rough overview in a really bad way, uh, a certain user started with about $10 million, um, basically uh, did did a bunch of loans and utilized Mango's own uh, you know, ability to go up to 20x leverage um, against their own token, and so was able to pump their the, the Mango coin um, so heavily that they were able to extract a hundred million dollars uh, from from the uh, from the loan um, the loan process, and then uh, obviously got got liquidated and ended up with uh, I think a third of all of the uh, Mango tokens, which meant that they control a third of all the governance now. So not only do they have all of the capital uh, that that came out of their their liquidity pools, but now he he's ended up with all of their governance models or their governance token, and so it's just like. This is a this is a DeFi platform that's moving you know tens of millions of dollars a day. How how does that even happen? I think that and uh, this is a conversation which I have quite often with my clients, and there is a lot of pressure from clients coming in and saying, "I want to do something new. I want to do something that nobody has ever done before." And I go and tell them, guys. Let's do something which somebody did before, that they have the code operational and it has been running for an year or so. We know that they have a lot of TVL. They have not been exploited. Please, let's use something that we know which works. Now, you can be a trailblazer, but I think that in order for you to be a trailblazer, you cannot delegate your development. You cannot delegate pretty much anything. You need to be a guru in everything and really do this kind of things yourself. And I know that this is probably going against what I'm offering as a service, but at the end of the day, really, I, I really believe that we should use things which have a proven model. I like to think of tokenomics as Lego blocks, where we take existing Lego blocks and we put them together and we build something which we know would work. Now, every now and then a client comes to us and tells us, you know what, we need to create a new Lego block from scratch. And we can do that. We have done this for clients, but it's really not our preferred method. We prefer to do it only when it is really necessary and we see a gap that needs to be addressed in those particular cases. What is, um, what's the average length of time it takes you from client engagement to actual token or, or coin de- deployment? How long are you analyzing this for? So it, uh, 
I can talk about our end of the work. Now, obviously, there is a lot which goes into token deployment, but usually from the day that we start, we can come up with a very mature first draft of your tokenomics paper within 30 or 40 days, depending on the complexity of the project itself. And Usually people uh, actually ask us, why do, does it take so long? And really the reason why it takes so long is that we like to model every aspect of the token economy. Meaning that within this token economy, we are not just coming and giving you your standard token allocations, standard vesting periods and things like that. On top of that, we are coming and we are modeling what is your projected token value into the future using various statistical and economic theories. We are projecting the sensitivity levels of your liquidity pools, tying back to what we talked about previously, just telling you, okay, if 75% of the people who get their tokens at the TGE go to your liquidity pool and sell the token, this is what your price will look like. Are you ready to bear this kind of price at this point in time? What would be the implications? And all these kinds of questions, we are trying to answer them within our uh, tokenomics modeling. The goal is that at the end of the period, they can go give the paper to their developers and they can start working on the tokenomics setup. One of the biggest challenges I see in the space right now <clears throat> is sometimes you can get the math perfect, uh, you can you can get your protocol perfect, um, but you know we saw in the case with Tornado Cash, if you fall on the wrong side of regulation, uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter, you know that what you believe is legal or what you believe is is right, um, you know you you can have issues with the SEC. You're, you're creating security. You have to you know manage this as, as a security. How are you managing that space right now? Because often I get pitched projects all the time, and I'm like. So you're making a security, right? They're no, no, no. If you if you stand on your head and you spin around three times, you know, then it's not a security. Um, it's a common common issue I see. How would you guys manage that? Normally, I think that just as you mentioned, it's quite obvious when a project comes to you whether they have a high chance of being classified as a security or not. And now it also is very important to understand that it's very different across different jurisdictions and their different definitions. So essentially, you need to really be aware of what is going on in different jurisdictions. At the end of the day, pretty much we always tell our clients, guys, we can do our best to develop you a utility token if you want one, and we'll advise you on what to do. But at the end of the day, you need to take this to a lawyer after we develop it and get a legal opinion. And if you get a legal opinion that this is a security, we are happy to work with your lawyers in restructuring the paper and restructuring the tokenomics so that it is no longer a security. But really, you need to employ the proper experts in each step of the way to make sure that you don't run into legal trouble later down the line. Yeah, and, and it's really, and once you've tripped that circuit breaker, it's really hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube. So you're kind of there. Are you managing uh, some, some tokens and projects that are securities? And, and if so, how do you manage those? We have worked with definitely some projects which are securities. At the end of the day, uh, from tokenomics perspective, there is definitely a difference in way the tokenomics is structured and what are the implications of how the token retains its value, how does the token reward its, uh, I'll call them shareholders at this point in time, because it, if it's a security, usually it's either a loan or shares at the end of the day. And uh, But from tokenomics perspective, it is just a matter of different structure rather than anything else. 
So let me pivot over and I'd love for you to explain some of the more complicated projects I see. Um, I'm a big fan of one, maybe two uh, tokens uh, in a project, but a lot of times we see like two, three, four, five. Uh, and in some cases, if you're getting into like Alchemix or some of these other ones, why do why would someone go with a massively complicated project? Does it solve any problems or is it just bad planning? I think that actually, funny enough, the way that you communicate things has a lot to do with this. Because under the hood, and I will grossly oversimplify things here, that everything, when you create a smart contract, it is just, uh, when you create a token, let's put it like this, it is just a table which has, for example, addresses and their balances. Then somebody gives the table a name, all of a sudden you have a token. Now you give functions that people can operate on top of this table, and now you have a DeFi protocol. Now, obviously, this is a gross oversimplification, but at the end of the day, in a DeFi protocol, there are a lot of things which you need to take account of when you are creating the protocol. A very simple example is the LP tokens. When you go and you provide liquidity, for example, on SushiSwap, you get Sushi LP tokens. Can they eliminate the Sushi LP tokens? Definitely, it's not a problem. They are not necessarily to be there, but having them as a token allows you to use them as a financial derivative, allows you to trade them and use them on other protocols. Then you can go on Sushi and stake them, and for this stake, you can get additional rewards in Sushi. Now, does, does Sushi give you a secondary LP token for the secondary stake? They don't, but they could. There is nothing stopping them. So really, it is just a question of actions which you are taking and which of them do you want to represent and present to the user and which do you want to keep obfuscated. So in a lot of situations, I would say <laughs> the tokens are both needed and not needed in case you want to expose your users to additional complexity and additional options. But if you want to keep the token, the protocol simple, you can just not give them the option to, to transfer this token. You cannot give the token a name and then it remains a record in a table. And at the end of the day, now it is no longer a token, but it is still there. Ooh, so phantom tokens. This is great. Yeah. Um, so, so something that the devs are keeping track of. You can't. They're not tradable, but but they do exist. You know, and it's it's stays with the user. It's not a, a liquid asset. Yeah, it is, it is again, and when we say it's not a liquid asset, it is just a question of somebody going to creating a liquidity pool for it. So there is nothing stopping you in doing that. There was recently a protocol which I was reading maybe six months ago, which was allowing you to take your LP tokens from Uniswap, I believe, and then deposit them in the liquidity pools of the protocol and take a loan against the LP tokens for the constituent tokens of the liquidity, which obviously allows you to create very complex financial derivatives in this kind of scenario. And this is why uh, sometimes we end up with protocols like YEARN, which really need to make an abstraction to all this complexity because users are not able to keep up like some of their most popular votes back in the day were the Curve votes, which is an, another amazing protocol. So maybe top up there with Aave in terms of tokenomics, but Curve is quite complex, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, and you know, listen, there's those are some really amazing math nerds over at Curve. Um, you know, I'm always just blown away by by you know every time they upgrade their their protocol, every time they add something, it's just like you you want to see um, kind of 
a really good rate of, of responsible innovation. And I, I agree with you, Curve has, has done some very cool things. Um, Arista, one of the problems that I have is, you know, a founder of a community and, you know, we're, we're moving into a DAO and lots of everything else is exactly a lot of the points you made. I'm terrified uh, of, of deploying a, a coin or a token and getting it wrong. Right now, there's no use case for it. So there's no need for me to do it. Um, but it's something we'd like to get done, you know, Q, Q2 or Q3 or Q1 next year. What is what is the process that someone like myself uh, would go through from engaging you all the way through token deployment? So, uh, given that, as I mentioned, we have worked with 220 projects, we have already quite an established pipeline in the way that we do things. So, essentially, uh, we have a pretty standard token economy questionnaire, which is on our website, www.findus.org, which you can go in, fill in the questionnaire, and this will give us all the basic information which we need regarding what you're trying to achieve, where are you going with your business goals. Then we reach out to you, we set up a meeting, we provide you with a quote for our services, and essentially we take things from there. And really, then it is just a question of going on several deep exploratory goals, understanding, again, what are your motives, what are you trying to achieve, what is your success criteria at the end of the day when you want to launch the token, and think if we are a good fit to work together. And and um, I guess a chain agnostic, you guys don't care whether it's on uh, um, <laughs> Ethereum or or uh, Solana or anywhere else. Are you guys tokens or tokens? For the most part, yes. I would put it like this, but we shy away from uh, chains which we totally don't understand. To be perfectly honest, because there are usually some specifics. So, for example, if I am defining, uh, let's say, a reward structure which is issued each block each block the way that, for example, the Sushi MasterChef contract works. I need to be aware of how many blocks are there. I need to be aware what can go wrong with the blockchain. Mm. And as I mentioned, I feel a lot more comfortable working on Ethereum where I know that I can even open a code of a smart contract and I can read through, understand what is going on. Because then if the client comes to me after they launch and they tell me, Christo, something went terribly wrong, please help me. I can even go and understand what happened within the smart contract itself. If this happened on Solana, obviously I cannot help them. I can go on the Explorer and use a little bit more analytical methods to determine it, but it would be harder for me. But generally speaking, we work with all of the major blockchains. And if you want something very exotic, probably this is the place where we tell you, look, we believe that tokenomics is blockchain agnostic, but we need you to be aware that we are not an experts in this particular blockchain. If you choose after that to go with us, knowing what are the risks, and if you have a great CTO, a great technical guy who can look at our economics paper and tell us, Christo, this cannot work on the uh, whatever blockchain because A, B, C, D, F, and G, and I can ask him, okay, will this other approach work? Then that's great. You know, one of the things I think is really interesting about, you know, uh, Findos and what you guys have built is is that you can kind of do, you've got three levels of services that I've got up here on my screen, which is number one, just the basic review. So I come, I come to you and say, here's what I've done. <laughs> How badly did I screw this up? And, and get your opinions. Um Talk, talk me through the, the basic and, and the full tokenomics, what, what, what's included in that. Sure. So within the basic tokenomics, we come, we sit with you again, we deep dive on the project. And what we do is that we create 
all the structures around your tokenomics. So everything related to the tokenomics, plus uh, if you want a DAO or a governance system, some basic vote counting structures. So again, your token sale and everything which you can imagine within the tokenomics. Now, the difference with the full package, which obviously includes everything from the basic one, is that on the full package we run a lot of sensitivity and statistical analysis on our output. So in the basic package, we run basic ones where we tell you this is our prediction. But then in the other one, we say, okay, if this happened, what would happen here? How do we expect that this would behave? And really, it even gives us a lot higher degree of confidence on what the outputs of the, of the tokenomic system would be. And you guys assist uh, at that full level with with help on the white paper, um, which is which is generally can get extremely technical. And there is a lot of non technical founders out there, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, how often are you guys asked to to participate in white paper? Um, so we get asked quite often, and I think that the way that we like to explain it to our customers is the following, that lately white papers, and I think that this is unfortunate, have, have become mainly a marketing material. They are not really the papers which need to explain <laughs> the technology. They're explaining this is this huge problem, and we are a great team which is going to solve it and will make you very rich. This is a lot of the white papers which I have seen over the last years. And when I work with clients, I use usually tell them, guys, what you are going to get from us is something which is a lot more closer to the Bitcoin or Ethereum white paper. It would be a lot more academic and dry. We won't promise the moon. It, is, it would be more like a detailed explanation, formulas, and then analysis of your protocol and how we believe that it would behave. I love that. And I mean, it's and it's so helpful again. Like I said, for non-technical founders or even technical ones, just to have somebody that this is what they're the expert in um, and have the experience in. Because there's, you know, as same as anything else, there's a lot of ways for this to go wrong. Um, and you at least kind of having a, a checklist of, you know, have you done A, B, C all the way through Z? Um, you know, because once uh, once it's out there, it's out there. And and I think that there's no founder that wants to see their project fail uh, because of bad tokenomics. And and unfortunately, I've seen it. Many times, uh, just just in the last few months, as we saw the the market turn from bull to bear, um, that there was many issues with liquidity that the founders hadn't counted on, had had repurchased uh, tokens, uh, believing that it would help their liquidity and their their market cap, uh, and all it did was expend their their existing cash um, and did not help the, the token sales at all in any way, shape, yeah, or form. Definitely. Huristo, it's really amazing how much time, energy, and, and thought you're putting into into tokenomics, and the fact that you know it, that's the primary focus of what you do. I, I encounter uh, dev shops all the time that um, they're going to write your smart contracts, they're going to they're going to build out your protocol, and and yeah, tokenomics they're just going to go ahead and get it done. But it seems very basic. Your approach is much more in depth, and the fact that that's your primary and really sole focus um, really solidifies to me that that's something that Y Whales will most likely engage in the future. Um, but you see a lot of projects. You've been in the space for a lot of time. There's, there is um, a lot of things that you see that work well. There's a lot of things you, you, you see that aren't working well. And it can, a lot of this can be outside of tokenomics as well. What are kind of some of your thoughts about where the industry or the asset class is going over the next few months or years? Sure. Essentially, I think that we there are a few things that we need to explore there. 
One thing which we definitely need to explore is that as crypto and especially financing in crypto is getting more and more mature, we need to move to more flexible financing structures. Now, when we look at the standard VC world, uh, big companies aware that they cannot raise all of their money upfront. They need to do several rounds. They need to have some flexibility in the way that they are able to raise further rounds later down the line. And I have seen great projects which fail just because essentially they said we have this fixed supply and we cannot do anything beyond that. And usually the suggestion after that is abandon the token, issue a new token, which is an option, obviously, but maybe not the optimal one. And luckily, a lot of them try to do right by their previous token holders. So one thing I really would like the crypto community to be more open to tokens which are inflationary or even without necessarily defined caps, but those caps sitting under a very strict milestones where saying, okay, if my project reaches 100 million TVL, if it reaches 200 million TVL, if it reaches a billion TVL, maybe I get to issue some additional tokens to get some additional funding to grow the protocol because this might be necessary. So this is the first thing which I think that we need to move into this direction. And the second thing is using the right tools for the right tasks. I'm seeing way too many people being crypto maximalists and saying we should do everything in crypto, everything should be on the blockchain. Then the standard finance world is saying, no, there is such huge problems with the blockchain, we should do it, uh, you know, our old way. And I think that there is space for both of them. I think that there are the right tools for the right tasks and we really need to figure out what to use where. And the sooner we start to cooperate and the sooner we start moving together, in the direction on figuring out which which gaps can each industry bridge for the other one, the sooner we will reach mass adoption and everyone will get what they're looking for. Haristo, I love that. And and I love it from the fact that it's coming from a place of experience and it's also coming from a place of like, you really want to see people do well. Um, and so that was amazing advice for anyone really thinking uh, about launching a token or has recently launched a token or a project. Um, Haristo, what's the best place for people to find you guys if they if they want to learn more or, or get uh, engaged with the Yeah, next? I think that the best way is to visit our website, which is findos.org. There you can find some additional materials regarding our credentials, projects that we have worked with, videos from our YouTube channel and articles from our blog. So go there, take a look. And when you are ready to talk, you can just book, book a meeting there with us. We are always doing our first consultations for free. So don't spare us. You can just call and ask, even if you think you have a stupid question, book, book, book a meeting with us, come ask the questions, and let's see if we can help you out with that. Why whales? You heard it right here. You get a free first consultation. It's my favorite price. Uh, so I would absolutely not turn that down. Haristo and team are, are fabulous. We've talked to a number of people that have utilized their services. Uh, we're looking at utilizing you guys as well. Um, so with that, Why whales? This is Findas uh, Haristo. We'll see you guys next time. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Why whales was founded in 2021 by Jay Steinbeck passionate entrepreneur and business owner with the purpose of bringing YPO and YNG members together in the cryptoverse. YWales is a collaborative and confidential community centered around cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology, an exclusive crypto hub of more than 600 members. 
to be notified when we release new content, please subscribe to our show in your preferred listening app. For more information, visit www.ywhales.com. YWhales is not affiliated with YPO, but at this time only allow for YPO, YPO Gold, and YNG members due to privacy and confidentiality. Support and production for today's episode was done by TruthWork Media. Nothing in the podcast constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the podcast constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto.